Welcome to today's episode of the Design Leadership Podcast, where we will be speaking with Maria Judis. Maria is a longtime industry pioneer and veteran in the world of digital design, having founded and grew her own full-service design agency that was later acquired by Facebook, where she served as director of product design for several years before moving on to vice president of experience design at Autodesk. Maria is currently an executive coach for the design leadership community and author of the well-known and renowned Rise of the DEO. Maria is also working on a forthcoming book called Changemakers that will be due out next summer. Hello, Maria. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here and talking to your audience today. We're super excited to have you and really looking forward to learning about your background, your amazing experiences, and of course, all the uh, um, amazing and very intriguing things that you have going on today. So as we always do, before we get going, it'd be great to learn a little bit about yourself. If you can tell us about your background, a little bit about your career journey, and essentially how you got to where you're at to today. Mm, Yeah, well, that's a, that could take one hour. So I'll try to be as succinct as possible. So I started my career really early on uh, as an artist. I grew up as a painter and that's what I thought my destiny was going to be actually to be a painter. I used to take painting lessons every weekend. My mother taught cooking lessons in the basement of my house and my paintings would be hanging on the walls. And very early on, I figured out how I could make money and do art at the same time. So her students would often commission me to paint dog portraits, portraits of their dogs. And I was like 15 years old. So very early on, I learned how to be passionate and use my creativity and make money at the same time. So, and that, that served me well moving into high school. I used to paint jean jackets of uh, bands back in the day when we had album covers. And I would charge $100 a piece for a jean jacket while babysitting, essentially doubling my hourly rate. So very early on, I was a very smart businesswoman. And that connection between entrepreneurship and art and design, that really just carried me throughout my whole life. Like this connection between making a living and doing something that you love. And then I, I got to college. I went to Cooper Union. Again, coming in as a painter, but along the way, discovering typography and calligraphy. And I came out that I I went through as a painter, fell in love with lettering, and then came out as a graphic designer. And that was also a real seminal point in my life because I really didn't understand graphic design at all. I was taking classes. Everything seemed incredibly formulaic. It's like, okay, if I give it this much white space and I use this typography at this size with this imagery, that's uh, that'll work. That's a graphic design piece. And it wasn't until my senior year of college when a guest speaker came in named Richard Saul Werman. Richard Saul Werman was, uh, many people know him as the original founder of the TED conference, but he was an architect slash designer who just looked at design in a different way. And he came into the, our class of designers looked at us all and basically called us out and said, you are all full of shit. (laughs) And I was like, what? And he said, design isn't about you. It isn't about what it looks like. It's about helping people make sense of the world. And that was that sort of spear in the chest moment, which was like, I get it. That design is about being in service to others. That design is it's to help people make sense of the world and unpack complex things and explain things. And, and that right out of the gate, I went to go work for him in New York designing guidebooks. And it just changed my whole perspective about design, which was really about, you know, helping people learn, understand, get something done. And, and I just saw design in an entirely different way. And while I was working for him, he got the gig to redesign the Pacific Bell Yellow Pages in California. So this is the late 80s. And frankly, I didn't really care 
about the project. I just thought, oh, pre-trip to California. I'll, I'll go out there and hang out in California for a little bit and come back helping set up the office. But I went out there. I accidentally moved there because I didn't think I, I thought from I was living in New York. I had no idea that I would move to California. It wasn't in my plan. And I really fell in love with the space. And when you think about the yellow pages, which probably many of the younger people in your in this who are listening right now have no idea what I'm talking about. But the older people certainly remember that the yellow pages was the only thing that connected people and communities together. And it was this thick book that was delivered to your doorstep once a year made of yellow newsprint. You're shaking, so you remember, made of black ink and red ink. And it basically connected you to people and businesses. And the invitation was to rethink what that could be. How do we turn this into something that was that's much more friendly to the community, can be much more informational? And again, that really just kind of cemented my understanding about design, about helping people make sense of the world. And when I got here in the 80s, what also appeared eventually were computers. They just landed on our desks. This was like 1988. And we were all tasked to figuring out how to use this tool for design. And that's when I fell in love with technology, what technology could bring. So I was very early adopter of understanding the intersection between design and technology. And then I worked for him for a couple of years uh, until I, I stopped learning and I traveled a bit. I came back and I started freelancing. And because I had this strong sensibility about information design technology and, and information design and technology, I got a lot of work and people were hiring me left and right to do things. So what do you do when you're busy? You just hire your friends to help. And then I just kept getting busier. I kept hiring more people. Next thing you know, I had a company by accident. And that's when I founded a company. And then that grew, started out as a partnership called Yo. After five years that we split up and then the company evolved to Hot. And then I ran Hot Studio up until 2013, grew the company to be 100 people plus in New York City and San Francisco, full service, everything from business strategy to engineering delivery of product. And that's when Hot Studio was acquired in 2013 by Facebook, which was one of the largest design acquisitions that was done at the time from a technology company. And then I worked at Facebook for two years where I really learned how to ship product at scale and also understand the global ramifications of decisions around design and technology. And then um, I was recruited to be VP of design at Autodesk, where I worked there for about two and a half years, working with designers across the world, about 400 designers worldwide at Autodesk. And then in 2018, there was a massive leadership shakeup at the top. CEO stepped down, new CEO uh, stepped in who did not appreciate design or design leadership. And I was, uh, I left. You can say left, you can say forced out, you can say laid off, all of those things. And then I went through an existential crisis. Like, who am I if I'm not leading a giant organization as a VP? I was looking around. I was interviewing for other VP of design roles. And... Another person stepped into my life, Clement Mock, who I've known for a long time. I was at a party telling him my story about what I'm doing. And he said, why don't you just take a year off? And that was like another epiphany, another spirit, the chest moment. You mean I could take a year off and think about this? So that was very hard for me to step away for a year. And that's when I discovered executive coaching. And that's what I'm doing now. And the through line is, when I look at my entire entire arc of my career, where I got the most joy was to work with people and help them be the best versions that they can be from a craft standpoint, from a service standpoint, from a leadership standpoint. And then I've written a couple of books along the way. The last book, Rise of the DEO, came out in 2013. 
I did a TED talk around that. And now I'm working on a second book with the same co-author called Changemakers. So that was a long answer to a long career. Well, super amazing. And you can't circumvent all the years and experiences you have. So we appreciate uh, hearing and learning about your, your background and your, your rise through, or say the journey through design. Mm-hmm. You've already mentioned in the beginning, you know, some key defining moments, um, some things that stood out as maybe a, a catalyst. Uh, you mentioned uh, the lecture by Richard that really kind of was the epiphany about serving and helping people, which I, I applaud and, of course, gravitate towards. You know, design is about people and, and, and bettering them and society, et cetera. <laughs> so just to maybe round out the introduction is uh, looking back at your journey, is there any additional key moments that stand out as either additional catalyst, career-defining moments, or also on the flip side, you mentioned, you know, some key challenges or hurdles that you had to overcome, you know, what were they and and how did they uh, redirect your trajectory, if so? Yeah. Well, looking out on my long career, there were a lot of really great highlights. First of all, being at the beginning of this revolution between design and technology, the the intersection, because you're at... I grew up in the 80s. I uh, studied design at Cooper Union. I was doing paste up and mechanicals. I was drawing stuff by hand. I was already type, right? And to sort of have a computer and say, you have to figure this out. And being part of a community of other pioneers who had to figure out how to design using this new tool was really revolutionary. It was a great time to be alive and to be at the forefront. And then once again, in the early 90s, uh, what the web came out. You know, I remember, I remember when it was Mosaic. I remember when it was Netscape 1.0. I remember when Internet Explorer came out. And <laughs> funny story there, a colleague of mine, Nathan Shedroff, had a company called Vivid at the time, and he was doing a lot of work in the CD-ROM space. And I was doing book design. And he's like, you know what, we're going to stop doing CD-ROMs. And I was like, okay, what are you doing? He goes, we're going to design for the internet. And I remember looking at him smirking and laughing and saying, it's never going to take off. (laughs) And so he obviously has proven me wrong, but I was also part of that beginner's revolution, uh, uh, you know, where we had suddenly had this tool, this internet, nobody knew how to design for it. Linda, you had to email Linda Weinman to find the ColorSafe web palette that you could download and secretly import into Photoshop. It was that kind of underground self-discovery, sharing and learning at that time, an incredible community of, of designers all sharing their best practices. So those were really seminal moments for me that really kind of shaped my worldview as it related to design and technology. And then the other big thing was for me that I re- the realization that I loved t- working with teams and that I believed in the power of collaboration. I believed that design is an act of co-creation. And I also believe that diversity made better product design. And so those moments really propelled my career forward between Loving being a pioneer, understanding technology, and then really believing in the power of collaboration and teams made my company, Hot Studio, very successful, very well-respected. And then I think the other big moment was being acquired by Facebook. It was, Hot was around 15 years old. I was turning 50 and I was like, I, and I remember feeling, I don't want to, con- I, I, I survived three major major financial downturns, and yet the company was still thriving. But I was really yearning to learn something new. I knew how to be a CEO. I knew how to grow companies. And so I asked the universe, I I really want to do something different than by the time I turned 50. And I actually sold sold my company to Facebook a month after my 50th birthday. And I think it was an important milestone for design because suddenly it was in newspapers. People are like, what? Facebook acquiring a big design firm. 
that really started a tsunami of acquisitions of technology companies acquiring design companies because technology companies were realizing they had an epiphany that the the uh, ingenuity of the technology only got them so far. What really was going to be a competitive advantage moving forward was actually designing great experiences for people. And so that was an amazing moment for design where suddenly design became valued in a way that it hadn't before. And now the next milestone is the rise of design leadership in organizations. It's an, this is the next step, like being a VP of design at Autodesk. I was the first VP in a company that was 33 years old, born in the tech engineering world. And there's no playbook for design leaders. Like, you know, you, we're, we're kind of like, we're there, we're at the, we have seats at the table, now what? How do we navigate ourselves through under, being a leader in a business context? And that's why I'm writing this book called Changemakers, which is about how to navigate change at scale. So it's been an exciting time to be alive when I think of my career milestones as a designer and as a leader. And of course, then, you know, the low points were things that were beyond my control, which was bad economy, bad politics, uh, a pandemic. I, although I'm, I'm kind of above that now because I'm just doing coaching. But those are really hard things to navigate when you're growing a company or you're growing yourself in this world. Pretty amazing additional insights into your journey. And I appreciate you circling back and talking about the Facebook acquisition, because I think it was one of the early kind of uh, catalysts in, in this kind of, as you said, tsunami. And, and we try and keep track, but we can't keep track anymore. How many, you know, uh, companies Accenture or the big five are buying every, every week. But I think that's all in all good, right? Because design is, is proven itself as a valuable strategic player. And there's a reason that they're being acquired. Probably a whole nother podcast about the, you know, the future of that, and the viewers can't see. But of course, I'm just shaking my head and, and smiling because uh, I think we date ourselves a bit talking about yellow pages and CD-ROMs. But amazing how fast the industry has just evolved, especially mm-hmm. in the digital world. And of course, you know, a lot of that is design, designing the futures uh, and bringing that forward. And I appreciate that you, you know, you talk about product and product at scale because. I know in the world of design, there's still kind of a separation between physical and digital and, and what is the right nomenclature. But I think at the end of the day, hearing from you, it's all product, products yeah. or experiences, um, but products could be physical or digital, et cetera. So, or both but, and, and both. Most and both. of them are both, right? I Absolutely. mean, service design is really just stitching together multiple experiences through a journey that requires physical and digital contact. Absolutely. And if I read correctly, I believe your title at Autodesk was VP of Experience Design. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a, yes. a few that are responsible for experience design, which I love because that is everything, end-to-end, uh, holistic touch points, et cetera. So uh, really awesome to learn about all the, the amazing things uh, in your past that's gotten you today, which uh, you mentioned before that your current role is coaching and writing a, another book. So uh, a little plug to the viewers. If you haven't yet read The Rise of the DEO, it's, it's highly recommended. For us, it's one of the, the pinnacles of really you know, cementing executive leadership for design, right? Uh, we've, we've come a long way. And uh, it's, again, it's probably another episode, but you know, been crying for a seat at the table. Now mm-hmm. we have it. So mm-hmm. now to, what do we do? How do we prove the value and, and, and continue to be a valuable uh, executive player there? Yeah, when um, you think about it, uh, the, so the DEO has, the DO meaning design executive officer, which I talked about in 2013, is this combination of a strategic business executive and a creative problem solver, right? And so it's really either a business person who's more design-minded or a designer who's more business-minded. It's that combination of the two, but there are qualities of the DEO, which is change, being a change agent, a risk taker, using intuition as well as analytics, being a systems thinker, being people-centered and getting shit done. Those are the attributes of a DEO. My current book that I'm working with a co-author Christopher Ireland on is Changemakers, which is thinking in a deep dive of the change agent part of the, of the DEO. So there's an interconnection between 
the DEO that provides this broad construct of what it means to be a design leader. And the change maker is going deep on what it means to be a change leader at scale. Yeah. Interesting. And maybe if we can just deep dive there a little bit, is there a direct connection? Is that the same person, different attributes, different hats, or is those maybe two different kind of characteristics, the, the executive leader and the real change maker? Any connection? Is it, is it a continuation or what's the, what's the connection there? Well, the DEO is the combination of those two qualities, right? Mm-hmm. It's this, and it's proven out, right? Designers and design leaders, they have to understand the business context in, and also understand the humans that they're impacting in the decisions that they're making, right? So when you can bring both of those, those qualities together in one human, you have a, su- a massive superpower, right? And so that's the beauty of these design leaders right now. But here's what's different is, you know, we've been fighting so long to be design leaders, to have a design seat at the table. The reality is it's not a design seat. It's a seat, <laughs> right? And, and you are bringing your designer lens into an organization that most likely doesn't understand what we do. You know, there's still very, very few companies that are enlightened when it comes to what design leadership can bring into their organization or their view of what design is. Still, we have a long way to go. We've made a lot of inroads, but the the people who are what I call inspired companies, it's still a very small percentage. Yet there are lots of design leaders entering organizations and what they don't know is they don't know well, what does that mean for me? And do I, am I in charge of evangelizing design? Am I in charge of impacting the culture? Am I in charge of converting the culture? How do I make an impact? And what are the levers that I need to pull? And the reality is you are going to be a change maker because you are bringing that view of how are we impacting humans? And then how is it benefiting the business versus what's the business need for these humans, right? So there's the, you're, you're bringing a very different lens, but you have to navigate the organization very differently because these are not designers that are your peers. They're, you're no longer in safe territory. Yes. And so that's why the Changemaker book is so essential for design leaders. And it's, it, came, it was born out of my desire to, to tell people all of the essential fuck-ups I, I did while I was leading design at scale, you know? I mean, I, you know, I, I, I ran my own company for a long time, but then I entered corporate America for five years, and it was a completely different animal. And most of us aren't prepared for it anyway. So, but I made a lot of mistakes along the way. And many, have my, and, and many of my peers who are also entering organizations as change makers for the first time design leaders who are entering organizations for the first time, they made a lot of mistakes along the way. So this book is a the way, if done well, this book will be a playbook for design leaders to understand what are some of the process points to take? How do you navigate change? How do you build support? How do you work with detractors? What are the, where are the roadblocks? Where are those those bombs you don't want to step along, step on along the way. So it's a book that's really going to share a lot of these lessons that a lot of these first-time change makers have have made. So that's that's why the book needs to exist for this audience. That's fantastic. I think uh, speak for many. We're very much looking forward to that. We know in life we often learn the hard way, which is through trial and error. So anything we can do to learn from others to expedite our learning. Hence, the reason for the podcast and mentorships and all those things that we can learn from others is, is let's say, vital in, in our trajectory and in, in our career growth. And, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's very dynamic, so to say the least. Uh, and I think my, my takeaway was I, I really like, I know titles are, are sometimes misleading, but I like the change maker, the change agent, because that's really tactical and doing versus maybe, you know, ha- needing to have an executive title to, to have that seat at the table because, we know uh, very well, uh, you and I and others, that you know, outside in is different than inside out, right? Uh, companies mm-hmm. that seem to be design-led 
once you get inside, you realize they're not very yeah. design led. And often we talk about executive, they're two or three layers deep. You know, they only mm-hmm. have a VP or SVP title reporting to marketing or R&D and a couple, right? So, and that may or may not ever change, right? So they really need to be that change maker to, to work with the restrictions and stakeholders that have at hand. So, yeah, most people in organizations don't know what to do with us, right? And so going in knowing that, is super important, yes. right? And and also going and knowing that people have a very different definition of what design means. You know, we, we all know that. We've all experienced having to try to define what design is, right? And I always tell people, oh, so you do X, Y, and Z. I go, no, design is a noun, a verb, and a mindset. Yes. You know, and, you know, so there's the, you know, the, the thinking about design, the the strategy the designing which more than anybody can des- you know anybody could embody those attributes as a designer then there's the craft of design you know the making the doing that define the difference between excellence and bad quality and then there's the mindset of design embodying that idea that design is about change yes and at a at a meta level at a system level that and it's, these are, you know, I really feel like, I know I'm talking to this audience, but we, we really are superheroes. We really have superpowers. Of course, you know, this is that community, we all agree. But, but think about, think of that. I, I'm always so in awe of the gifts that we have, the ability that we can look at things from a systematic perspective, that we could actually execute and have an impact on people's lives, either through small moves or, you know, at global scale, the responsibility we have is become even more magnified in a globally connected world. And yet designers really still undersell their capabilities. Yep. I think, you know, uh, glass is half full, glass is half empty, you know, needless to say, design is, is in its heyday, good time to be in design but we still have a long way to go again, outside mm-hmm. in, inside out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I always get entertained. You know, we come in and we do our, our audits and assessments and interviews. And we ask the question, 20 different people, 20 different answers. What is design and not what is out there, but even internally um, mm-hmm. you know, all over the place. And then we always like to, you know, present the definition that design is a design to design a design, right? So <laughs> back to you, it's a noun, it's a verb, it's an adjective, it's an adverb. It's not the be all end all, but it is certainly the glue, the red thread that connects, you know, experiences, brand, uh, products, brand services, all that stuff that we know we're kind of, you know, talking to ourselves, but we've got a lot of work to do there to help educate and convince the, let's say the non-designers, the business community, et cetera. Well, the other, the other trick that I use, because sometimes we can get so stuck on the definition. We even argue amongst ourselves. I mean, I roll my eyes every single yeah. time I'm in a I'm in a party with designers because we always go there, right? Yeah. We get so stuck on what it really means. And and we also feel like there's this incredible somehow it's our mission to have to to help people understand the definition of design. Sometimes I just tell people, hey, if you're in an organization and they get hung up on design and they'll never understand what design means, change the word. Yes. Just use a different term because yes. it's not about the word. Absolutely. Right? It's about the impact you make. Yes, absolutely. And your ability to make change happen. Yes, fully agree. Uh, and we often just uh, circumvent that. So if we don't use the word innovation, which is another uh, landmine, I just call it mm-hmm. success. Success, mm-hmm. right? We're all about success. And mm-hmm. our skill set can help you do that. And I think it was, and I, I may be quoted wrong, but I think it was Marty Neumeyer that said, call it what you want, call it bananas, as yeah. long as we get to do our thing, right? Yeah. So success, design can help you get there, creativity, whatever label is needed at that time. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, of course, just, you know, par for the course, that's the world we live in. Again, uh, half glass, uh, half full, half empty, but uh, more work to be done. So. Mm-hmm. I know you're doing a lot of work. You mentioned your current role is coaching uh, as well as writing the, uh, the upcoming Changemaker book. So Maria, can you share any insights or key learnings that you've had recently that you can share around the coaching, working with executives, yeah. interviewing, all that stuff? So tell us about you know, what's going on now and, and, and how that is helping to reshape or, or further validate you know, all the uh, prior 
thoughts, experiences, et cetera, in, in this world of design leadership? Yeah, well, yeah, I think it was born out of just another sort of epiphany. Like I told you, I, I was forced out of Autodesk. I was, I was loving my job. I was making impact. Uh, I felt really great. I, I felt like I was doing good work. But beyond my uh, similar in, in corporate life is that your executive sponsors, those sponsors that believe in what you're doing, your mission can disappear. You know, it could be your boss. It could be a CEO in my case. And suddenly my design sponsors disappeared. And suddenly the, uh, I, I found myself without any kind of support around my work. And getting laid off was so traumatic for me. Uh, you know, I'm an achiever. I just told you my life story. I'm so proud of it, right? And then suddenly I, I Maria Jadis, the important design leader, Maria Jadis, got pushed out. It was it was, uh, it was really traumatic. And I share this story because so many of us experience this and we don't talk about it. And so it's important to talk about when you get reorged out, especially if you're a change maker, oftentimes you're kicking a lot of dirt and you may not necessarily, you may have a lot of people who are threatened by you. And, and so you're your role could be pretty short-lived. You can make a lot of impact, but doesn't necessarily mean you're going to stick around for a while. I went through this crisis, like, who am I? Who am I if I don't have that, that VP of experience design title? Who am I if I'm not making a shitload of money every year because I can? And I got really, frankly, got really scared. I was like, I am in my 50s and I am soon going to be irrelevant. It scared the shit out of me. <laughs> and for Clement Mock to tell me to, to not go on these recruiting calls, and because I, I was going on these VP jobs and not feeling the, I wasn't like excited. I felt like I was faking it in bed going on these VP calls. And to stop and say, okay, what are the things that I want to learn? What do, what do I have yet to learn in life? And I knew I wanted to write this book on change makers. And I also, and I knew I wanted to interview a lot, a lot of people. And I thought, you know what? I want to be a better interviewer. I want to be a better listener. I want to learn to ask better questions. That was the reason why I went into coaching. I, I started taking lessons in coaching to learn how to listen better and be more in tune with people. And it connected me to my life purpose. It, may, it connected me to the thing that, that helps me get up in life, which is, I love lifting people up. I love working with people. I, I, I love helping them believe in a dream and a mission and I help them to, helping them to be better versions. I loved that about Hot Studio. I loved working with clients. I loved lifting up my team members. And so that really led me down the executive coaching path where I, I now coach individuals and a lot, a lot of design leaders, because being a design leader is lonely. It's lonely being a design leader. You're usually the only design leader in companies, or you're amongst very few. So I coach a lot of people in design. I also coach teams. So, you know, a lot of, I coach teams how to be more agile, to be more agile, meaning more fluid. I, uh, how to be more empathetic towards each other, how to see each other, how to be uh, being more in alignment, how to resolve conflicts, all how to communicate better, all of these things that are so necessary for highly productive teams. And I also have become -da, a shamanic counselor. <laughs> so I've been studying shamanism for the last three years. So when I work with people, I'm really looking at what's going on in their head what's going on in their heart, what's going on in their gut and their intuition, and what's going on at, in their soul and their spirit level. And I use these centers as tools to help people have a better understanding of themselves and how they show up uh, in terms with other people. And it's just been incredibly rewarding work. That's great to hear. I'm really happy for you. Call it what you want, the, the sweet spot, or if anybody's familiar with the Japanese uh, Akigai, you know, finding mm -hmm. your, your purpose, your passion, what mm -hmm. you're good at, 
what you mm-hmm. can get paid for. Uh, and you've had a lot of, you know, uh, amazing opportunities, ups and downs. But I think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little philosophical. I think there's, there's no mistakes. Everything happens for a reason. And, and you are where you are because that's where you're supposed to be. And, and helping now, uh, helping to serve back to the earlier definition about serving people now on an individual or team basis. And that's pretty amazing. So it seems for me, it's almost kind of full circle. You, you started, you know, kind of as a, as a lone wolf and then went into the agency and then to the corporate world and now back out. And, and I know we spoke before, you're kind of on your own. And that's, uh, you know, as we know, well, a good thing, right? There's more <laughs> pros and cons than managing people's and budgets and stuff. But Anything you can share about your current situation? Any any challenges that you're facing there? Uh, is it mm-hmm. hard to be on your own and not with the team, or you're still kind of, you know, as I say, living serendipitously through, you know, working with the clients, and yeah, the clients, et cetera. So, is there anything yeah. there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I knew I didn't want to start a new company, and I knew I didn't want to go back to corporate America when I was kind of going through this "Who Am I" phase. Because I did both of those and I, and I no longer wanted that. So that meant really being sort of, you know, in control of my own life as a lone wolf, as you, as you call it, what it has afforded me is letting me live my life on my own terms. I get to decide who I get to decide how many clients I want to take on. I get to decide how, how many hours I want to work. What other things that I am I passionate about that I can weave back into my life? Things that I never got to do when I was raising a family and running a business. So it, that for that, it's been incredibly rewarding. Where I've missed is like, I, I miss being in charge of a team, I would say. Like, I loved being in charge of a team and helping them grow. And to some extent, the team coaching allows me to do that. I still work with teams from an external perspective. And I also teach. I teach at CCA uh, in in San Francisco. And I also teach at Stanford Continuing Education, and where anybody can sign up for a class. Continuing education is something that anybody could sign up for. And I teach that with Christopher Ireland, my co-author. So I'm still I'm finding ways to bring that team yearning into my life more. And so I'm hoping that more teams will reach out to me, that I can help and support them to be more effective and be, um, you know, be a higher performing team and be more satisfied working with your, the people that you work with. So that, that's been the downside. And I still feel like I'm constantly asking myself, who do I want to be now, which helps me be a better coach. So as I continue to get older, I'm kind of enjoying the, I used to uh, be so afraid of being an old woman and I'm like going to be 59 in February. That's like, that is old, you know, I'm an old woman, but I also really, I really use it as a gift that I've lived a long life. I have had a lot of experience and I really want to share those learnings with other people. So I enjoy sharing my, I enjoy sharing my stories, good, bad, and ugly with people who might benefit from those lessons themselves. So it's been incredibly rewarding stepping into this new space. And I don't know, I still stay open in terms of what might be possible moving forward. Really? Uh, aspiring and, and and I applaud your 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 positioning and efforts and I was just writing notes I, I've done a lot of uh, coaching myself both giving coaching receiving coaching teaching as well which is quite rewarding I, I don't want to do it every day <laughs> very taxing mm-hmm. but uh, to come in and be able to you know support others growth and I just wrote a note I forget where I learned it over the years but it talks about the life journey between going from survival to stability to success to significance. And I think needless to say where you're at, and, and by the way, uh, 59 is, is 59 years young and lots of experience, <laughs> but I think, you know, at the point of significance and giving back, and that's very uh, applaudable and commendable to, to, you know, to, to pass those learnings on to others through the writings, through the coaching, through the podcast, et cetera. Uh, Maria, so we, we talked about your amazing journey over the decades in your current role. So maybe just to, to turn the page here going forward. 
we want to always explore a little bit about the future outlook. You know, as, as I mm-hmm. always say, it's a great time to be in design. Design is everything. Mm-hmm. Design is nothing. It's a loaded word. Again, another conversation. But uh, in your perspective, however you want to define design, what do mm-hmm. you see as the biggest opportunities or their future role for design in the coming years or the next decade? Where, where are we going as an industry? What's the, what's the opportunity? Yeah. Again, it's kind of been slow moving, but we're now starting to see design leaders entering boardrooms. So that ceiling has been broken. And so that's exciting to see that designers, design leaders, again, once it was hard enough to become a design leader in a business context. And now these leaders have been entrenched in corporate America and have have st- have elevated up to the an extent where they're now being looked at as as uh, valuable assets to boardrooms. So that to me is sort of the next frontier that I'd like to see design leaders participate more in. Also, I, we're going to see more and more design leaders making a huge impact when they can learn how to work in the business context, yet still keep their values and principles intact. So it's just, I think, just keep elevating, just keep keep elevating the profession up. As you mentioned, it's a really great time to be a designer. I mean, <laughs> designers are making a lot of money in corporate America. That it's shock, It's still shocking to me that we are making that much money because I remember what it was like to make absolutely no money uh, as a designer. And designers still need to be better advocates for themselves. Again, I think we are our worst enemy. Many designers aren't leveraging the power that they have, the superpowers that they they have. They tend to be sort of monodirectional. They might be focusing on shipping a product. They might be just thinking about the craft, the design. They're not looking at the strategy. They're not looking at the larger context. So I think I want to challenge everybody on this podcast to identify what stage they're at as a designer, and then what is the next step up to keep stepping up, to keep going upstairs. Don't flatline because the the capabilities and core competencies that we have as, as a designer are so valuable for today's world. So we got to unlock them and we got to use them more powerfully. That's uh, great advice. And I appreciate you because also to circle back on the question around opportunities, of course, with every opportunity is challenges. And you mentioned a few challenges as well about kind of limiting our own self, being our own worst enemy is, is if you will. Any other challenges that you maybe see for the design industry community in the, in the coming years or decades? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We are not making enough progress when it comes to design diversity with uh, people of color. Uh, we've made more strides with gender. There are more women des- leaders in design positions than there were when I started, but we're not making fast enough progress when it comes to, you know, African-American, Latinx, trans, uh, LGBTQ. And so we really got to, we got to encourage people to enter the fields of design so that there are more people, more diversity in design schools. So that means that we actually have responsibility to go into communities that don't realize that design is even a career that they could have. Think about how many creative people there are in underserved communities that, that don't even realize that they can have make a great living as a designer. It's sad. So we have to start there. We have to reach out. We have to educate. We have to, we have to, you know, be activists in those communities to tease out those creative people and encourage them to go into the field of design. So there are actually more people of color in schools that then could get jobs in corporate America. So it really starts in the community community outreach. And I would love to see that. I'd love to see a lot more diversity because if we're designing products that are at a global scale and we have a global responsibility, then the people who are designing those products need to be global as well. They need to reflect the people that we're serving. And that's when it's going to get great. It's going to get harder, but it's going to get great. 
Absolutely. I agree 100%. I, I applaud um, all the efforts uh, around DVI. Of course, you know, long overdue, but we are making some strides there. And that's kind of feeds into the last question to explore with you. And you've already kind of mentioned it. So, you know, we see a, a big trend. Hopefully it's not a trend. It's just a new way of doing business about businesses becoming more purpose-driven, more responsible, more circular, you name mm-hmm. it, fill in the blank. But, you know, all in all, you know, what we would call the triple bottom line, it's no longer mm-hmm. just about making money, um, mm-hmm. you know, doing the right thing for society. So some things around DVI, but also su- sustainability, the planet. Just curious to know your perspective on that. And it was interesting for me just to kind of maybe feed into that. I, I had an interview not too long ago with somebody that was interviewing design leaders themselves, talking to a lot of tech, tech leaders, uh, digital leaders. And, and I had mentioned, you know, from our perspective that, you know, purpose-driven and sustainability was, was a big topic. And she said, that's interesting. I haven't heard that so much. And I said, that's surprising, but yet very concerning. These digital companies are not looking at even sustainability because we know there's a lot of connections there with, you know, the server mm-hmm. farms, electricity, uh, right. all that stuff. So, you know, that's a, that's a big bucket, a big statement, but I guess, you know, to narrow it down, what, what, is, your, what is your further position on design helping to tackle these these wicked problems, these triple bottom line mm-hmm. problems, any perspective or insights you're getting from your interviews and, and research into helping the world become a more a better place, if you will? Yeah. Well, the first thing is nobody should work at a company that doesn't align with their own personal values. Okay. No, full stop. Right. Absolutely. You know, uh, and, and I don't believe, oh, I'll never get a job. No. What are things, what are important? What are those principles that are important to you as a personal, as a person, and how do they reflect the company and the culture that you're going to work within? Because if there is a mismatch in the cultures that, in the, in the um, values that you believe as a person with the values that the company has, you will not be happy in that company. <laughs> There's no way you're going to be happy because you can't, it went, once your values get stepped over, you're not going to be happy and you're not going to make an impact. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that the design leaders that now have more power are going to have to get a lot noisier about that. And then finally, how can we be influential and work with and support those leaders that are already outside of design that that have those belief systems? How do we stand behind those people who are already being, who are taking a stand as it comes to sustainability, climate change, all those things? But yeah, and so that's that's kind of where I land. But the first the first thing is don't work for a company that doesn't believe in the values that you have. Absolutely. So um, that's great advice and insights, and and you've given us lots of nuggets throughout the the. Uh, uh, the discussion uh, about keep stepping up and, and not the flat line to to um, get noisier about change and being that change maker. So in closing, Maria, any additional advice you have for uh, folks that want to advance their careers in design leadership or make a more okay. impact in business? And if I could also maybe caveat that with, you know, as you mentioned before, uh, fortunately, there are more female design leaders, but not enough. Are there any advice or perspectives you have specifically from your experience uh, as a female uh, leader through mm-hmm. the decades and, and any general advice or specific advice uh, for the listeners? Well, sadly to say sexism is still alive and well. <laughs> so, uh, and women who have come into this industry know that that is one of the obstacles that they have to work with, much like people of color who are, who are the only in their organizations. We kind of go in knowing that inherently being different means that we are responsible for being a change maker, right? So now, you know, those are the things that we have to constantly keep working against. And despite the sexism that I experienced coming up, I persevered, you know, I, I, I got immense pleasure selling my company to Facebook as a woman <laughs> in design, I, that did not get lost for me. So, and then I would say, you know, women have to help other women, you know, they, they really, they really do. And, and people who are in the minority have to help each other so that they become part of the majority. And so that's, that's the first thing, but it's a long game. This is a long game. And I would say, 
you're going to have a lot of setbacks and setbacks are incredible moments of learning, but you also have to recognize that you're making progress. You know, even, even when I got laid off at Autodesk and you could, you could also, you could beat yourself up for that, right? I am so proud of the progress I made while I was there. And no matter where you are as a change maker, when you leave, you've moved, you've moved the ball down the field. So just keep moving the ball down the field, but it is going to take time and it's going to be a long game. So be proud of the impact that you're making, even if you feel like it's a little too small. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you for those, those uh, parting words of wisdom and to further testify from your experience. So it is about uh, however you want to frame it, moving the ball down the field, or as I say, just keep on keeping on, celebrate mm-hmm. success, small wins, realize the challenges and, um, and make change. That's what it's all about. So mm-hmm. um, again, if, if the listeners haven't yet read or uh, have on their shelves, Rise of the DO, that's a must have for design leadership or what we kind of call design for business to, to learn to walk the walk and talk the talk among the peer groups. And we look forward to the upcoming change makers, which I believe you said is going to be sometime next year. So, yeah. And if people are interested in knowing more about the book or and or me, please visit hotstudio.com and you could sign up to be on my mailing list. Excellent. Um, mm-hmm. Will do and advise everyone else to do that. So uh, Maria, thank you so much for the time. It was a pleasure speaking with you and learning more about your amazing journey what you have going on. And we look forward to the book and seeing more um, coming from yourself in the future years. So thank you so much. We appreciate it. And I hope to cross paths with you again soon. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Take care. Thank you for joining us for this session of the Design Leadership Podcast. I do hope that you gained some valuable insights and inspiration to help further you along in your path in design leadership. If you would like to learn more on how myself and my colleagues of help to empower design leaders for the past 22 years through consulting, coaching, educating, and uniting design leaders across the globe, please check out our suite of services found online at empowering.design. I wish you the best of success in your design leadership journey and pursuit of design excellence. Be well and stay safe.